Micah, tell me where you came from and how in the world did you come up with Webacy? Well, where to start? Actually, the beginning, the beginning, beginning, like from when you were, I was five and you know what I mean? Like, where did you get, where'd okay. you come from? So I was born when I was five. No, I was born <laughs> and raised in Tokyo. I, I was born in this little place, um, kind of right outside of Tokyo called Musashi Kogane. It's like a smaller town. Um, so I'm half Japanese, went to school out there. Japanese is my first language. Um, grew up kind of bicultural, bilingual. My mother is American. And so I went back and forth. Um, spent some time in Minnesota, which is how I know about the University of Minnesota data breach, which is Yikes. scary. It's cold there. Yikes. I was born. It's, did you know that I was born? I was born in Minnesota. No way. way. No way. Way. Winona, Minnesota. Oh my goodness. So I have this theory about crypto and every crypto event I go to, there is one person minimum other than me that is from Minnesota. Nice. So I guess this is the room and you are that person today. <laughs> nice. Um, but anyways, yeah. So I, I did that in Minnesota for a while, back and forth. Um, I ended up going to school at Stanford. I studied physics first. I wanted to be an astrophysicist. Then I went to work for the circus, kind of a side quest. What's the, um, what, what do you mean the circus? Go more. Get, can you go more into detail of that one? Yes. So if you've heard of Cirque du Soleil, they have a lot of shows based in Vegas, but they're they're headquartered in Montreal and they have a lot of globally touring shows. So I was a aerialist, which means I did stuff in the air for one of the touring shows for Cirque du Soleil around uh, 2014 to 2017, 2018 area. Wow. That is super cool. I've never met someone that was in cert, like a performer in Cirque du Soleil. That's super There's cool. There's a few of us out there. How did, how <laughs> yeah. in the world though, like, isn't that like super dangerous? Um, I think it depends what you do. Like yeah. you could be a juggler, right? And then you're on the ground all the <laughs> true, time. But, true, true. Um, not that it's not hard to be a juggler. I can't juggle, um, funny enough. But <laughs> if you're an aerialist, there are some dangers, but they, they take a lot of precautions to make sure you stay safe out there. So interesting. It seems like it's uh, you have to be like a crazy athlete, first of all, to be to be able to do the things they do in Cirque du Soleil, right? You have to be so, I guess you could like a, almost like a, you have to be super consistent with your workouts, training, all that stuff. So when your show comes around, you have to be like, you know, really good at what you do to like all the crowd. How much time did you take like working out and like making sure that you were, you know, you were capable of continuing at that level of like fitness, I guess you could say, you know, like that's cause it takes a lot. Like, you, like people like walk on their hands and all sorts of crazy stuff and like hold each other up. I've seen so many Cirque du Soleil. It's, it's, it's so fascinating to me. Yeah, it's it's such a fun thing um, to go and watch too. Even even I go see them reg regularly when they come into town. But yeah, I mean, it kind of depends again, like what you do. So my act as an aerialist was it's a lot of upper body and a lot of maintenance. But there are some acts like, for example, hand balancing. So if you see anyone doing like handstands and contortion, that's the kind of thing you have to do every day to maintain. Whereas my act, it's something that's like rigged to an aerial type system, and so you can't always practice, right? Because you don't always have access to that. So you might supplement with doing other kinds of workouts. Um, and in the beginning, when I first joined, uh, there was like a whole on-ramp onboarding period in Montreal. So they send you to Montreal. You train there from anywhere from like two weeks to two months, depending on what kind of thing you're joining for and how trained you are. And then they send you to the show that you're joining. And then you do another month of what they call integration. And that's when you learn all the staging, all the cues. 
actually practice your act and then you do it in front of an audience. And so that piece and that part is very intense. Uh, it's, you know, five days a week, full time, like a 40 hour work week kind of thing. You have your weekends off. Uh, but then once you actually join the show, it depends on your act again, but it's kind of more like maintenance. Like you always want to train to improve just personally so you don't get bored as an acrobat. But once you got your tricks down, you do a couple reps every day. You do the show twice a day or more or less. Um, and that's kind of it. And so it's up to you individually. It's it's not exactly like it's very it's very similar to if you were a professional athlete, but you're not competing, let's say, as like a soccer team against another soccer team. So you have to constantly renew. It's more like you're with your team and you're presenting something that's created. So you can have minute changes here and there, but it's not like you're um, needing to improve your fitness to reach a certain level of skill to beat the other team. So it's a little different in that sense, but it does take a lot of training. But interesting. Kind of yeah. yeah, interesting. I was going to say, it seems like it would take a lot more than just being a pro athlete because you guys, I mean, you guys do the same repetitive show every time. I guess it's it's also easier, but it also is harder on the body, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong and I don't even know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to move on <laughs> to tell me about how you, how you transitioned from being an aerialist, by the way, it's super cool. Like I said, I've just never met anybody that did that. And then like you, somehow you, you pivoted into tech. Where was, what was that about? Tell me about that. Yeah, I, I have to think that I got pretty lucky. So when I was working when I was working for Cirque, I was very young. It was straight out of high school, basically. Um, I started at Stanford for three months and then went into Cirque uh, to work for the circus, essentially, right after that. So I was young. I was 18. Um, so coming back, I actually just went back to school. And so my journey back was a little bit smoother than maybe someone else who is like a pro athlete or a circus acrobat trying to move into a different category of industry. So I just went back to school, finished my degree. I studied computer science and AI, um, and it's not too exciting after that. That's super smart, by the way. That's the category I would definitely focus on if I was going back to school. So you got? Did you get your master's degree, or is this your your undergrad degree? Undergrad, undergrad. I'd maybe master's someday, but I don't. You tell me. Did you get an MBA or master's? Yeah, I have a master's degree, and it was. Uh, it's interesting because back back when I got it, like nineteen, you know, nineteen twelve, nineteen thirteen. I can't remember the exact year, but. When I did get my master's degree, um, it was, you know, I was told no. Someone told me, he's like, yeah, you can't do this because you're not educated enough. You don't have enough experience. Like you need a master's degree. So I just went and got one and uh, I did it full time. So and while, while I was working full time. So it kind of sucked, but it's, it's all good. You know? Wow. That's so interesting. It feels like these days master's degrees don't feel necessary, but maybe I'm just blinded from being in this, the crypto space. You're not, nowadays. you're not, you're not you don't even need a degree. No, yeah. you're not wrong. You know, it, there's a lot of self-taught devs. There's a lot of self-taught tech people. You don't really need like a lot of the people I've worked with at other dot coms. Like they all were like philosophy undergrad majors and history majors and things like that. Like you didn't really, it didn't really matter. Like they were very, very, and these were, these people were very successful at these tech companies. So, um, it doesn't really matter. Just, you just need to be coachable and like be able to learn really quickly and just be a smart person. Like it doesn't really, a degree doesn't make you smart. A degree just shows that you can learn and like what your category was doesn't really matter. I mean, I focused on marketing and I, I came into my first.com and I was a, like a, a pro, direct, uh, sorry, senior product manager for strategy and analytics. So it's like, not even, not even marketing related. So good times. Now let's go, let's, <laughs> let's break into, uh, so you majored in AI and, uh, comp sci, yeah? Yeah. 
That's pretty dope. And you, where you said you went to Stanford. That's a pretty good school. Yeah, it's a, it's beautiful. Um, right? And I'm going to share one hot take on kind of the degree thing that I was thinking about for a second. But I also think that degrees kind of just show that you can follow rules. Yes, <laughs> it's totally true. Is, yeah. yeah, it's not hard to graduate. Whatever college, like once you get into a college, it is not hard to graduate, uh, which is kind of funny because I think other cultures show this a lot better. So in Japan, for example, like the Asian school system, you're taking these crazy tests to get into school. But once you get in, you're kind of coasting. It's not hard. It's not a grind like it is sometimes in the States. But then again, like if you just finish your classes, you can graduate and it's free, free flying after that. So that's my hot take on degrees. Not that I think p- kids should not drop out. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I loved undergrad because it was easy and I took it for granted. Like I always thought I was working so hard and I was because I had a full-time job at the same time I went to school undergrad as well. But it was just, it was so easy actually. When I look back on it, it was just like very regimented. I knew what days I was going to school and class and stuff. I knew which days I had to work and then I knew which days I was going to the gym. So it was pretty it's pretty easy and you could easily just like relax, especially if you put your days, all your, all your school days on like Tuesdays and Thursdays only pretty good times. Anyway. So let's talk about, let's first say hi to Adam. Adam, thank, welcome to the, welcome to the stage, my man. I was going to chime in. I switched all my days. I would do Tuesday, Thursdays. Yep. And then I would not, I'll, then I would just not go to class on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so <laughs> uh, I would never go to class. I don't know if any of you guys did that. But in my college career, I went to like no classes. No, I went um, to all my classes. Lessons learned. Do not do that. It's not the ideal way to go through college. Uh, I went to all my classes and I even took an astrophysics um, class first year and I got an A and I thought I was awful at math and it was all math. Anyway, that's that's the end of my story. Let's talk about Webacy. My Webacy. My Webacy. Talk to me. Tell me about tell me about Webacy. <laughs> if you need a new theme song for Webacy, Lucas is your man. I think that was beautiful. Thank you, I Drew. I appreciate that. That's pretty good. Um, right? Yeah. I may, I think you might be in the wrong business. You can start doing like jingles for companies. And yeah, make a whole $30 a day. I can't wait. <laughs> um, where to start with Webacy? So we have been around for around two years now. Uh, we're venture backed team is still pretty small. We're eight full time. And yeah, um, I can talk to you about the journey of it. We're a little bit different in a spot of where we started in the very beginning as most startups end up, you know, evolving over time. But today we are the goal of Webacy is to make web three safer for everyone. So we're primarily consumer facing. We build tools and services for people to stay safe uh, we're not a custodial service. We're not a wallet. We just help you with whatever system that you have self-custodied to stay safer in the space. And then on the back side, on the business side, we do have APIs that we integrate with business partners. And that helps us get more reach and let more people use our tech so more people can stay safe. Just the regular startup kind of stuff. But happy to dive in wherever, but that's what we do. That's interesting. So question to you, how do you compare to WalletGuard or any of these other third-party tools that do something it sounds like it's something similar but i don't know what have you guys done a little competitive analysis on these other products excellent question and we're huge fans of like too uh better than friends uh but we are in a different category um so i think mentally it's very easy for a lot of people to lump us all together right because we're consumer facing security companies um one big separation between us and wallet guard is that we don't have any kind of browser extension or user addition for 
pre-transaction simulations. So for those who don't know, Wallet Guards is this really excellent uh, browser extension that you can install. And they also have a MetaMask snap that they just recently released. Uh, and it'll tell you before you make a transaction, whether it's malicious or what it might do, uh, which is awesome. And there's a lot of alternatives to Wallet Guard, like Fire, Pocket Universe. Uh, the, the category is pretty busy. Um, and then for us, what we do is we have a variety of services that are both like during transaction and post-transaction. So I'll walk you through them just so you kind of get a, a sense of what we do differently. So the very first thing that users usually come to us for is our Wallet Watch service, which is a real-time notification service. So we built this initially because I was personally frustrated that I didn't know what was happening on-chain in my wallets, especially when I was away from my computer, which is most of the time. So we wanted a way to get real-time notifications of any inbound, outbound, airdrops, royalty payments, any activity at all in my wallet to me through SMS and email. So that's what we built initially. We have like 30K users on that now, which is awesome because we just launched it a couple months ago. Uh, so that's a really good transparency and notification service. We just also released our risk engine. And so this for our end consumers looks like a risk score for your wallet and transactions. So we can tell you how risky is your wallet. Are the approvals on it potentially malicious? Are there assets in your wallet that could potentially drain you? Because we all know we get those fake phishing airdrops that people like drop stuff in and send you to a link and so on. And so we tell you what not to touch. We tell you if a transaction was kind of sketchy. We tell you about your behavioral history so you can take a better look. All of the things that go on there. The last thing I'll mention is that we also have action-oriented items. So we have something called a panic button. This is like an emergency evacuation. Let's say you get hacked or you get fished or you heard about a vulnerability that might affect you, you can one-click transfer all of your protected assets to a backup that you also own and operate. So that's kind of like an oh shit button, if I'm allowed to swear on this. You are. Um, and yep. that's, okay, thank you. That's very much utilized in the space. We have a lot of user stories, which brings me joy of people saving a lot of their funds by using the panic button. Um, so that's kind of the category that we fit into. Again, pretty different from WalletGuard, but you can put us in that consumer security company category. So... Let me break this down a little sim simpler, I think. So if I'm a, if I'm a WebSE user and somehow it's connected to my, you know, it's connected to my wallet, right? Yes. Okay. So I connect it to my wallet and it's going to notify me if there's some like weird activity in my wallet. Yeah. And we can also notify you on activity to wallets that aren't connected. So all you need is one main wallet that is connected. It could be your main one. It could be a, uh, like a sketch wallet. It mm -hmm. could be a test wallet. But you can also add other wallets to, to monitor. So for example, like my cold storage wallet is truly cold storage. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't connect that to anywhere, but I can still monitor because I added it to monitor under Wallet Watch, which you can just copy paste an address onto. You don't have to actually connect. Oh, okay. That's interesting because uh, I I don't know. Okay. So I, I'm trying to think out like I get emails and notifications. So like, let's just say I'm connected to like OpenSea or something like that. It notifies me if like things were getting sold out of my wallet or like, you know, notifications are going off. Well, how does WebSE protect you from that? So we're able to ingest the transaction data. First, we tell you when it hits the mempool too. So it gives you a little bit of a heads up mm -hmm. uh, depending on what network you're on because we're multi-chain now. We just announced that a couple days ago, which is exciting. Nice. Uh, so Polygon, Arbitrum, Optimism, super excited to be part of those ecosystems. Nice. Um, but we're also able to tell you, for example, that risk engine that I mentioned is also integrated within the notifications. So you could get a notification that you've been airdropped something and it will be high risk, which is maybe like a signal that you shouldn't touch it or you shouldn't even click on it. Another thing that happens that we've seen is that when people bridge, 
if you're bridging to Arbitrum, it could take like 15 minutes, right? And so you're going to walk away, but you want to know when things happen. So you can even get notified when that hits the other end that you're sending it to. So there's a variety of ways that we've seen people utilize these services. But that's the thing is just knowing from like baseline what is happening in and around your wallet. That's the core use case and everything comes from there. Interesting. Okay. How many, uh, how many people are using your product right now? Uh, we're around 30K and growing every day, which is awesome to see. That is really cool. Do you have a user acquisition like in place or are you guys just doing it as in word of mouth? Is it via, is there like a certain marketing channel that's working really well for you? Uh, you know, we're trying a variety of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tried uh, like some quests in the beginning, if you've seen those quest platforms. And then we, we saw that people were just getting kind of like sibled and bottled, bought it out. Right. So we were having fake wallets come in. I think every company goes through these growing pains. Um, and so what we did there was we just really increased the, like what needed to happen from the wallets and the requirements of the wallets to make sure that we're filtering at least like, you know, the, the dirt <laughs> or the, like the flex out of the users coming in. Uh, and so now the users coming in are much more high quality, which is good. We've also started just like individually kind of boots on the ground, hand to hand combat, reaching out to people that are kind of within our target user base showing them the product, getting them excited about it. And then oftentimes if they enjoy it, they'll naturally share about it. So it's been a lot of organic, which is awesome. Um, and, but also, you know, if you have ideas of how to grow, that's always the challenge in Web3, right? The opportunity. Yeah. I'd say if it's, per- in your case, it's really smart because you can easily be a product that people can market and feel good about it because there's no, there's no NFTs, there's no floor price. You know what I mean? This is a real like tech product. You have a digital, you know, product here. So that's pretty cool. So when people connect to Webacy, let's pretend I connect right now. That's going to basically give me a whole bunch of new intel and and bells and whistles. That's going to try to tell me something like I get airdrop something and it goes to my hidden wallet and it'll tell me that, okay, that item looks really malicious. Or do, do you guys like mark airdrops as all malicious or are they, is there actually some kind of analysis going on in the background? No. So this is where, um, Luckily, my background comes into play, but no, there's a lot of analysis happening on the background. So the risk engine that I mentioned earlier, this is a, it's kind of an aggregation of all of the best security tools in the space, along with our own data lists, our own APIs, and our own intelligence. Uh, I don't want to say the buzzwords AI and ML, but that's something of what's going on. Um, and it's going to continue to get better as we continue to add more data sources, collect more like on-chain behavioral data and so on. And so, um, yeah, if you're connecting as a user, you can run your risk profile, get a whole breakdown of all of the activity historically that you've been doing. You can like set up Wallet Watch, you can set up the panic button. There's a host of things you can do. And maybe someday um, if Elon is listening, you could do screen share on Twitter spaces <laughs> and then I could show you, but that'll come another day. <laughs> that's funny. I think that's coming sooner than we think. Adam, you got a question? Go for it, man. Yeah, I was actually, I was wondering, cause I know this is really difficult often and kind of web three and what we build with this decentralized nature, but what's your strategy for, uh, income generation? Do you, do you have one now or you're just trying to grab market share or what's your, your overall strategy? That is the magic question. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're playing with a couple of different things, right? So we we're a startup and we're venture funded. And so revenue is definitely on top of mind to get there. Uh, we do have some revenue, um, but it's not like, we're not like doing like a hundred M- hundred million MRR every month, which would be amazing. But we're playing with things. We have a SaaS model for consumers. We do have free products, of course, just to open up the top of funnel. We're also playing with um, a couple different other levers to like get people to pay. 
And again, we do have paying people, which is be- great because this is a product that's valuable to a lot of people. Um, and then on the API side, I think I mentioned at the very beginning, we do integrate with businesses to make their ecosystem safer. And that's more of an easier revenue stream. And so we're balancing it. But in the mo- in the biggest big picture, we just want to make the most people safe as possible. So the more we can give away for free, the more users we can get onto the platform, the better. Mm-hmm. On a follow-up to that, have you thought of ways, I know this. I've discussed this, we've discussed this with various teams um, about any sort of insurance or something like that, because I know for, especially we, we know and deal with people who have, you know, really large uh, art collections and stuff like that, which even though there may be in multi-sigs and Gnosis safes and stuff like that, still, you know, it's crypto, right? Um, have you done anything along those lines to kind of explore those options? We certainly are exploring it. So insurance is like this crazy beast because not only are you dealing with like insurance and regulations around insurance, but then you add crypto into it and it's like a whole nother like layer of cake uh, that we don't want to take a bite out of. So we are 100% looking into it. It's a super interesting category and I think it fits very complementary to what we've already built, Um, but it's challenging, which is why we haven't really seen a great crypto insurance product come out quite yet. Uh, I think it's coming. Uh, We might try to play around with it uh, another thing we're kind of exploring is how do we reward users for good activity on chain? Like you think about how hackers and scammers get rewarded just by hacking people. But I think people who are doing good work and participating, contributing and stay, and doing things that are safe should also be rewarded. So that's also something that we've been iterating on and trying to figure out what we can do as a company and ecosystem to make that something that people actually try to do too and incentivize them to do that. I like that. That's actually makes me think of the Apple watch or like a uh, health insurance in a way where you're like, you, you know, you say you're, you go to the gym five or, you know, four or five times a week, which means you're staying in shape, which means you have a, a reduced rate on your, you know, your insurance. So I think that's another way to do it. I actually went into the, ins- I tried to um, broach the subject of insurance back in July and August of 2021. And I talked to three different insurance providers and they, they were basically just like, we want nothing to do with this type of product, this digital product, because they don't know how to like come in and see the, like, is there real damages that were made? And like, they, they accept insurance or did someone like, you know what I mean? Like there's just no adjuster there that understands the the system and blockchain enough to actually pull that off. It, it was like, maybe I was thinking of, um, who was I talking? Oh, cause we were talking about having a security audit, another one done. And talking with these, uh, you know, there's like groups where basically they have a whole bunch of, you know, white hat hackers, right? And you basically put these bounties out. and um, Bug bounties. Yeah, b- bug bounties, basically. And, uh, you know, maybe it's, I mean, I'm just spitballing, but maybe it's something along the lines of that where it's like, if you have a group uh, that is kind of, you know, like this, it's a security firm and they are helping people stay safe. And then they organize or coordinate with these white hat hackers. And I don't know, it's just a, an idea that um, where the, the hackers get rewarded, right, for finding vulnerabilities and weaknesses. And then the people are also protected because of this like robust infrastructure of reward system. But anyway, just dreaming. Yeah, no, it's smart. Drew, go ahead, man. You got a question. Uh, I was just going to add on to you. I think the cool thing about WebSC. And um, definitely correct me if I'm wrong, saying anything here, but, you know, with kind of the, the text or email uh, kind of alerts and notifications, I think that's exactly what Web2 is used to, right? So instead of having to log on to a dashboard and connect your wallet to, you know, check daily, which, you know, as much as we'd all love that to happen in a security world, no one really gives a shit about security until 
you know, they're checking, they're checking retroactively after something's already happened. Right. So, but, true. you know, I look at it as the same way as your bank, right? Your bank has a health score. You check, you know, uh, how many subscriptions are coming in and charging you or, you know, making sure that you're not sending money to the wrong address. Uh, they send you alerts when your card number is used in a, you know, maybe suspicious way. Right. So, you know, I was trying to think of these in like layman terms from a Web2 perspective. And that's that's kind of the analogy that always comes up in my head is, you know, where does WebC kind of fit in um, in the in the Web3 spectrum of security at its core? And I think that in, in my head, that's that's where I see it. And then obviously there's other functionalities um, more than, than just that. Right. But I think that's that's super, super key because it doesn't require you to do any any connecting your ledger on-chain messages and all that kind of stuff, but actually utilize the stuff that we're used to every single day in Web2, which is just literally just text and email. So did you, good good points by the way, Drew. So M- Micah, is, uh, did you guys pivot away from like death and crypto? Is that like something you guys like stopped doing? So we haven't pivoted, but that's a good uh, intro for me. It's a good segue for me to talk about kind of where the company started uh, and the name, right? So WebC. Yeah which a lot of people can't pronounce. Like, it's like legacy, just webacy, you know? So. Exactly. It's like web legacy. Yeah, right? uh, But sense. we get webacy, we get webakai. It's, um, <laughs> it's like people trying to pronounce my name. So it's perfect. Um, but yeah, we actually started, the very first product we ever built is I built this on-chain crypto will. So it was like a time-triggered way for you to pass on assets to a different wallet address if you died. Right. And um, we raise money on this. It's um, it's a good proof of concept for what you can do with smart contracts. And um, it's actually really a very important thing to think about. If you think about um, inheritance in Web 2, it's a huge mess. Right. Uh, and Web 3, now we have huge amounts of assets that are monetarily important and we want to pass those on, too. Um, and so we built uh, the crypto will as a product is still very much alive in our product line. You might not see it promoted because, number one, we want to get to people that care about security while they're still alive because that's the first step. And then we can think about responsibility of post-life later. Um, but we have a couple of crypto whales that specifically like to use our product because it's one of the few decentralized, easy-to-use inheritance services for self-custody on the market. And so that's still there. Um, the Grimmies that we launched like early on in the company, those are part of the whole lore. Um, but as a company, yeah, we've moved away from... Um, your digital afterlife and your digital legacy more to staying staying safe in Web3 in general. Uh, and I think that's, you got to meet people where they are. And I think that's where people are right now in the space. Yeah, I agree with that one. That's definitely a good move on your part. Definitely at all. And like, it's just it all makes sense to me. So do you guys have like SDKs and everything built in too? Do you have like an entire tool set in the background? We've got APIs for developers. So one thing that we also know is that security is a long game and safety is a long game. And so like we're, we're doing this consumer thing because consumers need these tools, but we also know that to reach more consumers, we need to be in other products. Uh, so we're working with teams to get our APIs integrated within things like wallets and DEXs and exchanges and all the things that people touch on chain. There should be a hint of security there um, or like an underlying base. So we're doing those too. Yeah, I like it. Smart. I was going to say, uh, there's, there's a bunch of competitors that, that are in that space, like, especially with SDKs and stuff like that. Like, what was it called? Um, real web three. And I believe that's like a Steven Bartlett product or he's like a co-founder in it. So, um, interesting. Okay. So now that you have funding, like what is your guys' like biggest challenge right now that you're trying to conquer? I think, man, there's a, there's a lot, obviously it's like, um, 
as a builder, there's a hundred different things keeping me up at night, but I think um, our challenge is very similar to the entire ecosystem, right? And that's just volume of activity and then things happening in the space, like money coming in. Because one thing I think we forget is that uh, this this ecosystem to thrive needs more people coming in, right? So this is including topics like mass onboarding. Uh, I think Brad mentioned the pudgies in the beginning, which is super important that like whatever it looks like, I want more people in the space. Even if it's an account abstracted wallet, that's a fine first step. I'm totally okay with that. And so um, I think we are playing our part in building security tools to make the space a little bit more legit, better UI and education. But then everyone else needs to also think about how do you get more people into the space? So that's one big thing. Uh, and then as a, obviously as a company, we have a huge roadmap of things we want to build too. But again, we, we can't do that unless there's more money and entering the space and more people. And so that's probably the biggest thing that we're struggling with right now as a company. Yeah. Would you say it's mostly more money? Because right now it feels like it's very important to get people into the space for you guys to use your product. And I think I almost feel like it needs to be 100% needs to be integrated with like already existing wallets. Like you need to, you know, obviously work with... Uh, consensus and get like MetaMask, you know what I mean? Like get it all working with MetaMask, everything, like just have it go with your product. Do you see someone like MetaMask actually buying you guys eventually just because like you fit what they're trying to create themselves and they're like, Hey, why create it ourselves when this thing already exists? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, there's two successful ways for a company to like exit, right? And that's an acquisition or an IPO. Um, and so for us right now, we're just focused on getting as big as possible and being as valuable as possible. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of these companies are also kind of going through this um, like identity crisis, right? Where the companies that even series A companies, series B that are bigger in the space, maybe aren't making revenue to say sustain themselves or had to raise a down round. So they're kind of shifting. It feels a lot of like sands are shifting type of moments right now. And so, is the MetaMask we know today going to be the same in three years? I don't really know. But if you look at the metrics, there's still a lot of money happening on crypto, right? You have billions of trade volume happening every day, but it's happening in specific areas. So I think another thing that also needs to happen is that money needs to spread into the ecosystem a little more. So it can't just be big players like swapping billions of dollars and MetaMask taking like 10% of that, um, which is what's happening on the back end. Uh, but that money needs to go into the ecosystem a little bit more. So that's why it's exciting to see like, Arbitrum and Optimism doing these big ecosystem grants, even though they have strict rules of how they have to do it, it is great to see more money going into smaller projects that are building to add more value to each uh, chain. Yeah, I'm very optimistic about Optimism, so we'll see how <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how it goes. So, so <laughs> question next question is: Let me think here. How in the so? What made you get into the blockchain space versus getting into just like the regular tech space? Like what was so appealing to like what the Web3 space? Was it because it was a hot topic at the time when you were building or was it more of like, this is something you can come in and like fix a problem you see with uh, your technology? So funny enough, my first introduction to blockchain was at Cirque um, nice. back in 2014, uh, which is funny because when you're, when you're an acrobat or a performer, uh, you're busy all day, but you don't actually have a lot to do. So you have a lot of free time. You just have to be there. And so a lot of people had side hobbies and side quests that we were doing. So specifically, these two guys I was working with, total nerds, awesome guys, were really into Bitcoin at the time. Uh, and so I learned a lot from them. Uh, I learned more about the technology. And that's where I started following it. Um, and then my excitement in blockchain kind of came to fruition after all of the international travels when I realized, hey, blockchain is capable 
not that we have done it at all um, <laughs> or will do it, but blockchain is capable of improving a lot of human systems that are kind of messed up today. So things like proving your history, your identity, um, moving and opening a bank account in another country. You don't really feel these pain points until you have to do them and they're horrible systems. Um, and also just internationally, it's also different, right? And imagine if blockchain worked truly and everyone adopted it, it's interoperable. You could prove your history by all of your activity on chain. You could prove your identity. All these things that I had personally had trouble with as a human had the potential of being solved by blockchain. So that's why I was excited. Um, so in 2021, when 2021, what it was like NFT hype, right? Like oh, yeah. everything's off all time highs. And so obviously it made sense to enter at that time for me, like, Oh, it's perfect timing. There's a ton of mo money from VCs pouring into the market. So that's where the move came. And also I was post-graduation. So it made more sense for me to try to jump into something like that, but I've been following it for a while. So that's a long winded way of saying that I just really believe in the technology. Yeah. Fair enough. So that's interesting. What's your goals for Q4 of 2023? And like, what are you guys trying to, what kind of goals are you trying to hit for 2024? We got big dreams. Uh, what is the saying? Like plan, aim for the moon, land among the stars. Yep. I hate that kind of that but is, that's, that's, that's aim exactly. for the stars. Aim for the stars. Aim for the. You gotta no, aim further. It's aim for the it stars is, are further away. Shoot, shoot for the moon. You shoot for the stars. Aim for the stars. Hit the moon. What's it? How's no, it? it's it's shoot for it's, it's shoot stars. it's shoot for the moon and, and and end up among the stars. Actually, it is. He, she's right. So um, well, that's backwards. Real cool, Why Adam. Aim for something closer to yourself. That makes that's, no sense, yeah. bro. Real cool, that's Adam. Reasons because they make no sense at all. Um. But yeah, I mean, key four for the company, we have a lot of um, we have a lot of big goals. So obviously, user growth is huge for us. Um, again, our KPIs are kind of like how many people, how much value can we help protect? Right. So number of users, it's total value monitoring, it's amount of notifications we're sending out. I think we're sending out like around three hundred k a month at this point right now. Uh, we want to increase that amount. Um, so those are baseline KPIs. Uh, but on top of that, we want to add to our product line. Right? We've have a lot of feature requests which we're looking at we have a lot of um kind of r&d type new things there's a lot of uh, new eip proposals we're taking a look at like obviously a kind of abstraction we have a plan for that we have like eip 6900 which is an add-on to that um so just a lot of really cool tooling for users to again meet them where they're at be excited about that um uh, yeah i mean that's that's kind of the the company goals uh at nice. the moment i like it i am a fan go ahead adam yeah. I mean, with, you know, with the kind of hyper bear market that we're in right now and, you know, and I understand, you know, and we're our company, we just plan like, look, how can we hold on for ne the next interesting thing, which get, gets people interested in, you know, crypto and Web3 again. Right. So how can we extend our runway and, you know, make it last, basically just last as long as possible, because we know there's got to be another thing. It's just can we hold on long enough? Right. Um, is that part of what you're doing, uh, which is just, you know, kind of laying a foundation during this time, waiting for that next wave? Is that part of your strategy or you're just, I don't know, I, I'm get, basically giving you my strategy. I'm uh, kind of just what, what your overarching strategy is there. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to hear how, what everyone thinks about the strategy as a founder in the crypto space. Everybody tells me, you know, reduce your burn, have as much runway as possible, like, survive and figure it out and we're, we're following that to a degree 
But I also think that bear markets is where lose uh, where losers, where winners are built, right? And I think a lot of the companies, especially in Web two, that have succeeded are the ones that are pouring money during a low time or a like low economic era or a bear market because that's where they know that their competitors can't or won't, and that's where they're going to win, right? They're building out their products to support greater growth. They're putting money in to get the users that are still there. Um, and then they've iterated so much that when the explosion hits, which is what we expect, because I'm super long crypto, uh, they're ready for it, right? And so that's what us as a company, yes, I'm you know controlling burn as much as possible, uh, but it's also such an exciting time to be building and connecting with all the people that are super excited about blockchain and building something of value in the space. So we're doing both. <laughs> We'd love to hear anyone else's advice um, to us as a company for what to do, but also just personally what you're doing in your own in your own head too. I mean, for me, I, I would say, you know, and it sounds like you've already got this strategy, but, you know, it's just reaching out to if, if you're one of the key metrics for you is like total value locked, right? It's just uh, you reach out to this, these, you know, big players who have, you know, deca millions of dollars worth of, you know, art NFTs, you know, stored, right? And, you know, I'll tell you, most of the ones I know, and I know a lot, but, you know, basically, it's all basically no gnosis safe style um you know holdings is the way they're they're holding most of their stuff and um but i think that for me you know if i was advising you i'd say okay well how can we approach them to you know just provide additional value to them and i know just knowing teams you know it's okay they have multi-sigs you know of course they trust the people in their multi-sig but how is it you can add you know additional layers to that or beef that up a little bit, or, you know, run an evaluation for them and, and tell them maybe a weakness they didn't think about, or, you know, that would be kind of my strategy. I'm sure you're much more in the weeds about it. And you've already done this a few times, but that seems like a, a reasonable strategy. And by doing that, you're actually reaching, you know, the tastemakers in the space, the people who will actually talk about you and talk about you with the other big collectors in the space, because it's obviously small communities we're dealing with here. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to unmute. No, you're good. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, that's really great advice. And um, yeah, that's what we're we're knowing. Is that a lot of these conversations are happening in these smaller uh, Telegram groups and Discord channels, which is awesome to see because this is where um, it feels very grassroots, even still today, which is awesome. Right. It totally does. I agree with you. So, if you had to have, what would be the partnership you wish you had right now? Like my, my dream partnership? Yes. You know, it's tough because I'm split. I think there's a part of me that really wants to have like a huge partnership with one of the big, like big banks or big fidelities or MasterCards that are doing stuff a little bit or dabbling in Web3, but want like that guiding hand or guiding use case. I think we fit really well with them. On the crypto side, obviously the big wallets and we're working with them already. So those are like, once we actually get it done, I don't like talking about stuff before it's done. Right. Cause it's not done until you're actually um, to market. So uh, those are the big goals and we're trying to reach them. Uh, we're currently working on it, but yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of dream companies to work with. There's so many great builders in the space. Right. So what was your favorite, if you had to have an NFT right now, totally off topic, I'm going to shoot a couple of like speed balls at you. What would be, uh, if you had something in your safe right now, what would you want? What's your like dream NFT? 
Man, everything is so controversial right now. I'm going to get canceled <laughs> for anything I say. <laughs> no, you're not. Um, no, you're not. No. Um, I mean, obviously, apes are cool. Uh, but I think that, like, it, I say that because the ape holders that I know are great people. Um, I'm also obviously Japanese, so having a couple of Zukis would not be bad. Regardless of everything that's happened, I do like the art. Um, so I'll, I'll say those two. Do you have one in mind? No. I... I, uh, I... <laughs> I exited in most of my NFTs. I exited in like September, October of 2022. So, Good call. Good right? Call. Yeah. I mean, I've been in, I, that, I mean, that's I, a flex. I've been in the space for so long that I just knew, like, here's the deal. Like, I am not married to any kind of asset in the world. Like, if I had a dream house, like, pretend I built a dream house. If someone decides, oh, I want to buy it from you. I would absolutely sell it for the right price. You know what I mean? Like I just don't have this, oh, I'm really attached to this like thing. No, I'm attached to making money. So if you want to tell me. You're you're so heartless, bro. I'm only only with this stuff, dude. It's not like I have a pig that I have to worry about or anything, you know, like Adam actually, Adam, Adam. Did you ever collect anything? Adam's, Adam's. Did you have any like garbage pail kids or yeah of course i did i did but you know what here's the thing about that stuff so yes i I collected garbage pail kids i collected gi joe's not really collected but i played with them i i collected so many things smelly stickers sounds lame um there's so many things i i collected but i was i didn't like hold it as like oh my god here's my here's my thing everybody like there was a time where I, I could have easily bought like an Azuki front underneath. Like they were just, they weren't expensive at the time. There were so many times they went up and down and anyway, so there's, there's just like super opportunities to like do these things. I just wonder like what NFTs like you guys actually are big fans of. Like for me, I was all, I, I liked the apes and I remember seeing them and when they went, you know, they, I was there when they, you know, minted and stuff and I didn't like the art. I just hated it. But you know what? I like the idea of the ROI just like everybody else. Right. <laughs> Nobody wants to, no one wants to go buy a lottery ticket unless they know they're going to win. So uh, at the end of the day, that's what most people did. So I don't know. I, I'm a big fan of anything that makes, you know, five to 10, 20 X and, you know, world of women did that for me in a couple of ways and a whole bunch of other ones did too. Like crazy amounts of, you know, anyway. So you, yours would be an ape or an Azuki. You'd really like an Azuki just because of, obviously that makes sense. So what would... Hmm. I'm trying to think of some other like rapid fire here. What, like who would you, you already, I already asked you about the partnership side. If you had somebody on your side, like, an, like, let's just say a creator or influencer, who would you want to be like having rep your product? Like, you know, who I'm a big fan of is, uh, Zach, Zach XBT. I feel like there's a couple of great people on crypto Twitter, especially on the security side that just find and create such excellent values of like threads and posts and comments. And he's one of them. Um, huge fan of him. Um, hopefully he gets a chance to look at us, give us some feedback, becomes a fan, all of the above. But yeah, there's a couple people like that that I follow follow kind of religiously because they have such good security takes. Right. I'd, I'd, I'd recommend maybe you reach out to, you know, 6529 um, as well. Because um, Punk6529, if you don't follow him. Um, but he, he does. No, he's, you know, he no longer just, has a punk, by the way. Shut up. Dead serious. No, dude, that's not true. Dude. Yeah, he got that's rid of he got he got he got rid of that punk. I'm, I'm pretty sure, like he's just no, no, no. We're talking about this, some different the di- oh, okay. a different punk. Oh, okay, my yeah. bad. Go ahead. <laughs> that's for There's sure. There's so many no, punks, six, seven, well, eight, sevens, and for sure, he has not got rid of his punk. <laughs> gotcha, um, gotcha. But but he's had some. If you look through his threads over the last few weeks, he's he's kind of producing this uh, what he calls 
uh, TAP, and it's just like a, a a very very simplistic model for you know having a couple different wallets, right? A hot wallet, um, you know, mid wallet, and then a cold storage wallet. You know, simple stuff like that. Um, and I'm connected with him and and his team and stuff, so I could try. I just sent you a DM, and maybe we could try and connect you with them. Not, not that he'll do promotion for you, but again, another opportunity maybe to connect with you know influential people in the space who will be appreciative of, of, you know, additional security for not only their team, but, you know, just other people. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Huge fan of him as well. Uh, if, if I'm getting the number right, I think it's the same guy that we're talking about, but yeah. Whatever. Yeah. The hoodie, hoodie, hoodie AP, I think he's got or hoodie, punk, one yeah. of the hoodie punks. Yeah. yeah. That, that is, recalls. Um, but yeah, it's more like we want people that are security minded and just super smart taking a look at what we're building, like feedback, ideas, iterating, building with us, that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean, anyone who's within that category would love to connect with. Brett over here is pretty, pretty staunch security guy. So if you want to have him look at your stuff, he is the blockchain lead over at NFT now, not NFT yesterday, not NFT future, but NFT now. Actually, the NFT now guys would be great. Uh, yep. You know, talk to as well. Um, Bread's right yeah, here, dude. They, Bread's right here. Yeah, I mean, I, mean they, I might know a guy or two. <laughs> you might know a guy. I mean, they always do. I mean, they always do it. This is the type of thing. It's like, um, you know, Matt actually got had with Sims. Matt, who you might not know, but is the founder of NFT, one of the founders of NFT now. But he got Sim swapped what like three or four weeks ago. You yeah, know, and, and so even even the best of us, right? And I know they produce a lot of content around security and stuff like that. But, they have uh, videos. Another... They have videos talking about. Sim yeah, swap. they do. And he and he gets some. He gets some soft. But at the end of the day, look, all of us here, we're all just monkeys, right? Hundred percent. Like, so the the easier you can dumb this down, make it integrated. That's why I love the idea of wallet integrations and stuff like that. You know, it's like, you know, when when I talked, I interviewed. I'm just reminded reminded now when I interviewed John McAfee before he died. You know. And I asked him, it was like my number one question to him, like, when are we going to get wallets that make sense for the rest of the world, you know? And he was like, you know, he thought maybe five or six years, and this was like three years ago. So I think, you know, I think we're that timeline still holds for me. It's like, I I feel like we're getting closer to what we need to bring, like bridge this Web 2 to Web 3 experience, where Web 2, you have like this unlimited backup, you know, can't fail system to you know, this mid range between self-sovereignty and web two, you know, somewhere in between there. But yeah, it's, it's exciting to see for sure. Yeah, it is. But it's also like, you got to train a whole new generation of people and back train people that are, you know, the older generations that don't understand wallets and they don't understand any of this stuff. I don't think they need to understand that stuff. They just need to know. Yeah, I think it's got to get to the point where there's no training. There's no bad. It's yeah, just absolutely. It's this kind of mid-range where they don't even know what's happening. It's just done for them, basically. Well, I don't... It, it, especially especially when they can't even, you know, from a Web 2 or a normal perspective, right? I mean, <laughs> they, they don't even get it from that perspective. So having them get it from a Web 3 perspective is just a, a whole other realm that, yeah, definitely needs to be tackled. And like you're saying, yeah, they definitely don't even need to know. A lot of this just needs to be intrinsic where, it capitalizes on the backend things that they don't even know from Web two perspective, but then fills in the gaps of the things that they don't know from Web two perspective. Right? Yeah, it's an, it's a it's definitely an inter- interesting scenario that we got that they're working with for sure. I just don't understand why there there should there can't be wallets already um, that have you you know protection like a double layered wallet. You know what I mean? Like 
one layer connects and then the, you know, the malicious contracts, you, you then can analyze what that malicious contract is doing. And then the second layer, which is like the one that protects your assets. Well, I mean, it doesn't connect. It only connects to the first one and not the second one, which then give, you have that with gives uh, you protection. delegate cash, you have that with say, safe. but I yeah. mean, the thing is, is you can have four or five layers, but if a user is going to go ahead and click through it, it don't matter. No, I agree. I, yeah. What I'm saying is if you, if there was a, first layer and they click it and they know that the first layer is going to like analyze shit for them. That's the magic. Like, Hey, wait, let the thing analyze before you click the second time. Cause it's like a safety for, in a way it's like a safety for a gun. Right. And I, uh, I don't want, I'm not like advocating guns guys, but I'm just saying like, they're not dangerous until you put the magazine in and then you cock it back and then you put the safety off. You know what I mean? Like there's like three stop gaps before that thing goes off. We should have that at least. We should at least have two of those for like a, a wallet that has like hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars in a, in a digital wallet that could just you click the wrong link and it's all gone. And North Korea is now, you know, celebrating um, some new made up like holiday they just invented because they just stole all your money. Anyway, so Brad, you got your hand up. Go, man. Oh yeah, no, sorry. I, I got I got rug from co-host in the middle of Adam talking. It just like real cool, bro. Silent. Yeah, bro. I was like, thanks, Elon. You know, um, no, but yeah, dude. Like exactly. I, I'm a, I, like what NFT Drew was saying, dude. I'm a two-click maxi. Like I really, truly believe that like you should be able to achieve whatever you're trying to achieve with your end consumer or customer with two clicks, at most. You know, like it shouldn't be more than that because I think just I think we should solve. So here's the thing. I I agree with you by the way. You know me. I'm I also user. want to get the serendipity because his hand's been up for a minute. I feel like it's yeah. Like I'll, I'll get to I'll get to him. So you like you're also not co-host right now, dude. So zip it. I'm just joking. So um, I think it's interesting that you know people want to like smooth out the user experience, but why don't we smooth out the security part first and then smooth out the user? The UI, the UI is an easy fix, right? You just, if you're going to make it a two click thing, cool. You can make it a two click thing. That's easy. Or even a one click thing. That'd be amazing, right? If the wallet was safe, it would be a one click thing because then there's like processes in, be, in between like a cron that runs that has like some kind of protection in between. And it's like, okay, cool. It won't, it won't connect. So I think that's interesting, but I, I think what's more interesting is like, First, let's get security down. Let's get a wallet that actually works and saves 99.9% of people. Not all of them because, you know, people are going to be people. They're going to be like, oh, I need to buy that before it goes up in price. And they're going to hit the double the double click thing where it's like, okay, you, you went through the, you breached the first wall. The second wall is now, the first wall is now analyzing what you got there, which is basically like the, the faux wall or the fake wall. And you can then find out like, okay, now that it's connected, what is it trying to do? And then the second layer doesn't even pop up. It doesn't let you connect until it analyzes and says, hey, don't click this button. It doesn't even let you click it. It says, hey, something's malicious here and the button doesn't even light up. And it says, yeah, we're not letting you do this because you're going to lose your assets. So I think there's like that two layer thing that I've been thinking about like for two and a half years now, which I think is interesting. Like I've been thinking about for like two and a half years and no one's done anything about it. It's really weird like that. I don't think it's, is it that difficult? Cause I don't think it is guys. Um, you tell well, here's me one thing about like consumer security, right? Is that we as consumers, even I like within the web two space, we expect, can, we take it for granted, right? We expect the machines that we're using to be safe. And a lot of us use iPhones and Macs and stuff. And so we, we just expect it to protect us. We expect it not to let us visit websites that are dangerous. And this is kind of built in. Um, we p expect people to follow the rules of the road, uh, all these things that make life go smoothly. Uh, and now we have blockchain where 
that isn't really followed all the time, but consumers aren't like habituated into taking those actions of keeping themselves safe. So yeah. we don't want to be the ones responsible for doing it. And I'll tell you just one quick thing that we found from a couple of user interviews. I was interviewing people about VPNs, right? Because we're thinking, okay, what's a consumer tangential thing in Web2 that we can learn from? And I was asking them, why do you use a VPN? I asked like 50 people. Because VPNs are made to keep you safe, right? And not like hide your IP, keep you safe on unsafe networks. Well, that's, like that's the marketing, working. that's the marketing spiel. But yeah. Yes. But why people use it is probably exactly what you're about to say is that people use it, for example, to do things and trade by VPNing in from Japan and trade on a on DYDX because you can't do that from the United States, yep. right? Or to hide it because you're doing sketchy stuff on the internet. So it's actually utilized for completely not what it's marketed for. And this is the issue with consumer security and why it's so hard. So true. Or you watch Ancient Aliens and you're just like a, a conspiracy <laughs> theorist and you're worried about everybody tracking everything you do. Exactly. And you're chasing Bigfoot tonight uh, tonight, and uh, you want to make sure your VPN is on. That's what I'm doing tonight. All right. I'm going to take a risk here. I don't know serendipity. I don't have very much. I don't have a serendipic feeling from serendipity, but I'm going to let him ask a question, even though I don't know him. Go ahead, serendipity. Oh, man, Lucas. Um, thanks. I do appreciate it. But um, I, my question, like I love the, the security aspect. Um, working, looking at CRMs um, for other companies. And so that's definitely something I want to look at. And I guess what would be your best advice or I guess um, other than I guess the, the norm that you would pay attention to, um, what's best advice in security to set, setting something up like that? And then I guess best security advice um, for NFT projects. Yeah. Use Webacy, bro. Use, use Webacy. That's the, that's the answer. Isn't that 100%. The answer? That's it. Dude, download. Have you, Serendipity, are you using Webacy right now? I'm sorry, say it again. Are you using Webacy? Um, I'll be. Do, are, you, are you? Did you click on it and download it yet? Like, are you? Are you doing it? Like, cause if like we're gonna wait here until oh, you do it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Kick it on right. right now, brother. I got you, Lucas. You All right. know that, man. Yeah, yeah. You, hit me back when you got it installed, and let's talk. Let's talk then. Hundred percent. I got you, bro. All right, man. I trust you. Let's do it. Go ahead, I'm, uh, Micah. Go ahead, my man. Go for it. Did I interrupt you? I thought I interrupted you. Go ahead, Drew. No, no. Okay, cool. <laughs> Drew, go go for it, my man. Damn, I, for, I forgot what I was going to say. I was laughing. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, it's the serendipity kind of to expand on your question a little more, too. I mean, especially for projects, I think one thing that you totally should not neglect is security, right? Uh, a lot of founders and a lot of businesses worry about security when it's too late, right? Like after a compromise, you know, whether because they just don't think that it's going to happen to them where everyone's a target. They don't want to pay a minuscule amount up front versus when something does happen, they're having to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to reimburse their community. And that loses trust. And that usually wrecks projects. And most of the businesses don't have those kind of funds just to hand out to reimburse when like, you know, an upfront security for a smart contract audit, a discord security audit, a team training. I mean, maybe that'll run you like, wow, depends like 10 grand total. I mean, you know, where if someone posts a phishing link, I've seen average or plus being 150K and above. So, you know, uh, being being proactive about things and just really education. I mean, there's always going to be a cat and mouse game. Like as much as we go ahead and, and make security changes, the scammers are, are definitely the ones that are watching before everyone else. They're going to go ahead and try to make a move. And then it's, you know, it's retroactive chess game, three steps ahead, two steps ahead, three steps ahead, two steps ahead. So 
it really just comes down to security, um, uh, or sorry, uh, proactiveness um, about security, and uh, always just being educational, just like these spaces, and using all the tools available, right? Like WebSee, obviously, is a core tool. You know, you have to use other things like, uh, you know, Ledger, understanding what tools cover what areas, uh, ad blocker, so you're not clicking on dumb scam sponsored ad links and when you go to Google or Bing or other things. So, you know, it's it's definitely also just being aware of what the tools do so you know what area they cover, which is super important, like super, super important. Couldn't agree more on the tool part. There's no doubt about it. That's why people, once they understand what WebSE does, like what these tools do, then I can't imagine a company not coming in to acquire tools that help protect people in this space because it's just so needed. Like every day there's like a new story of someone getting jacked and uh, you know, North Korea or somebody else, some other hacker group is like stealing like 50, $60 million. And you know, they're uh, building that hotel. They never finished um, with, with the funds, whatever the case may be. So it's, it's definitely interesting. I definitely think we need to have security that's just built in and nobody has to think about. Right. It's just like, kind of like FDIC when FDIC was invented. I don't know if you guys know the history of that, but it was during the great depression. Everybody lost everything. There's no federally, you know, insured funds back then. So everybody lost everything. So that's why they invented FDIC in the first place. So that's why it's like, we do, do we need to hit that big of a problem to like get the problem fixed? It seems like, yes, like airplanes crash. And then they decide, Oh, let's fix, let's fix the thing that, Made that airplane crash. How about you just don't let it crash? Like, you know what I mean? Like X-ray of the struts, X-ray of the skin of the plane, the all the load-bearing f- like spaces on an airplane. But no, why do that? Let's wait until it crashes, then fix the problem. I think it's kind of weak, but whatever. I think we could fix it so easily with a wallet that actually has like, like I said, I kind of laid out the framework for whoever wants to develop it. Double hauled wallet. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not that easy. Bread will know better than me. And so will you, Drew. What am I thinking? Bread, Drew, and Micah will know the best. Tell me, double-layered wallet, will it work or will it not? I just, I just think no matter how many layers. How, how many times have we tried to hype, mint something hype back in the day? You had a ledger and you're like, nah, I should probably transfer ETH to my hot wallet and then mint. When you just went ahead and damn right minted with your ledger. Right. I mean, it's just, you know, you could put as many safeguards as you want in place. Like even if you put something there where you're going to block it, I'll uninstall it. So it won't block it. Right. <laughs> or, you're, or, or you're saying you're saying disable it. Well, I'll just uninstall it. That goes against the ethos of decentralization. But besides that point, like I'll just get rid of it. Right. Like if I want to do something, I'm going to do it. And it's more so it needs to be educational that, damn, I shouldn't do this. Right. More so than fuck the shit. I know that this is here for a reason, but I don't really care. I don't know, man. I want to go ahead and do it. I feel like, I feel like it's like the way I, the analogy I'm going to use here might not be right, but it's like sending an email and without, without giving your, the email address you want to send it to. So the email can't be sent because it's not, there's no email address in there. The same thing goes with like the first layer wallet wise, which is just, you know I mean? Smart contract. I mean, a wallet's just a smart contract anyway. So if you actually send it, like if you, you get a, uh, notification on the first layer it could actually say like hey let's do a little quick analysis on this and even if it takes 30 or 60 seconds you can't do anything on the second layer which protects your assets and then that button either shows up or it does not to make the the transition or the uh acquisition happen right and it protects you from clicking that second time because it tells you a notice like hey 
this is malicious. Don't do it. We're not going to give you the button to do it. And then you, yeah, you would have to install, uninstall it or you'd have to push some kind of setting that would stop you from protecting it. Anyway, it's a huge, like if you want to build something in the space that's going to be acquired, it would be that. Like people would buy that wallet in like two seconds flat and integrate it what they're what you're doing into their system. That's my opinion, at least. Go ahead, Brad. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with what, what Drew was saying, you know, where as far as like, yeah, we could put up a hundred safeguards, you know, we're never going to achieve a hundred percent like safety, right? Because people just like in the heat of the moment and the FOMO will be like, bad disregard all of that. Like I'm going to turn off my brave blockers. I'm going to Yeah, but that's it. So that's it. So you're, so that's good though. So there's, so Brad, you're so right, bro. Like, and so is Drew. You guys are both right. But at the end of the day, you have data showing that they actually turned off their the protection for their wallet, right? It's kind of like saying, hey, I left my car out front and the keys were in it, right? You're going to, you're still going to, you're still, you still have been stolen from. You still should be treated like, hey, sorry to hear that. Like, oh my God, that's awful. And not like basically, you know, victim shamed for getting stuff stolen from you, which I saw so much in 2021 and 2022. It was insane. Um, but with that said, it's like, if you, if you not only have this like protection there, you never would get jacked. You'd have to literally go out of your way to get jacked, like of your stuff. So, well, you know, I mean, one, one other thing, especially for a lot of the hacks that happen in this space, they're not like this, you know, Morpheus sitting in the basement. Like a lot of this is very simple social engineering. Totally. Right. Yeah. Like super, super simple. Like, you know, unfortunately, and I'm totally not going to throw names or, or talk about anything here. I had someone reach out to me and say, hey, dude, uh, I work in the security space for IT help desk support. I know better. And I just fucking got scanned because some fake person from the IRS told me that if I didn't send money, they were going to block my account. And I had to send it to him via PayPal. Right. Like, you know. PayPal didn't block that. That's not happening in Web2. It made sure, hey, do you know this person that it's sending it to? Sure, yeah, some random email address. I gave a warning, that user did it, and guess what? They're never going to get that money back. So this isn't necessarily just a Web3 problem. I think it's an overall problem, again, going back to education. But even when people know that something isn't right and they ask questions and they don't go with their gut, you know, then it's also, I mean, it's 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 unfortunately too late. And, and these scams still work, like the whole Nigerian prince and all that kind of stuff, like, all that, like all that stuff, still works. I mean, how many of us in this last week have gotten a text message from uh, USPS saying that a package can't keep, get delivered? I think Bro, I did get one of those. Everyone, right? We all we all got it because it was from it was Fred's from all excited. Reach, I think from Twitter and OpenSea, and everyone got it, dude. I mean, they're they're getting all your personal information. Like everyone has gotten that text, right? right? So, like you know, people fall for that, like. And I wrote a thread on it. The tracking number that they sent me was actually from two towns over. It was a legit tracking number. And if you compare both the fake USPS site and the real USPS site, dude, spot on. Like I give them 10 out of 10 to that graphic designer, whoever it was. It's crazy. It's crazy. You would have no idea. And USPS uses weird domains, URLs as well for their legit site. So like everything checks out. Everything. It's, it's, it's crazy. Right. I got excited because like, I don't click any of those, right? I get, I get those from time to time. Right. And because, uh, you know, I started in cybersecurity, right. I'm not clicking shit. I don't click anything. And like, even if it's from my mother, I'm not clicking it. I'll send her, like, I'll call her and be like, did you just send me this link? 
and she gets annoyed. But like either way, like I, I don't click anything. So the fact that multiple people got that USPS text, it's like, yeah, I feel like it's a you know a little win, an internal small win for me that I like, yeah, good. Still not clicking that shit. Did you uh did you get the thing I just sent you, Brad? Can you just click it real quick? Thanks. Yeah, I'm not gonna do that, bro. bro Love you. It's me, like, man. It's bro, me, man. Yeah, just click it, man. Know. Just click it, man. Everybody's Mail doing it. To it. Me, bro. Mail me the Everybody's link. Everybody's like, doing it, man. Yes. First time's for free. Second time, we'll talk about it later. You know. Send me a postcard with the link written on it. I'll copy it into my browser. We'll, <laughs> we'll get this done. Nice. Yeah, I just want to say hi to Daryl real quick. What's up, Daryl? Thanks for coming up, my man. Good evening. Good evening, sir. Good, good afternoon in your case. Right? It's like 4, 4 18 my time. Yuck. Anyway, so let's get back. We got serendipity. Do you have do you have Webacy, bro? I do, sir. And oh, got, we got an install. Hell I, yeah. I'm quite impressed, my man. And uh I'll definitely be using this in the project. Like I yeah. So thank you. Um that definitely clears up. Like I'm digging in the panic button and all that. Like I didn't just download it, I'm actually reading, so there's one, like I said, it's, I'm thankful to get in here, man. I, I've been a lot, really busy lately, bro, but I, I'm just glad to be in here, man. It's been a while, so. Glad to have you, man. Glad to have you. So there we go. We just got another user using Webacy. That's what, that's what Twitter Spaces is for. If anybody, if anybody wants to try Webacy, I think you should give it a whirl. It's pretty dope. I think uh, Formica over here is awesome persons and, uh, she definitely knows what she's doing. She raised a lot of money. I think it's, I think it's a really amazing product and amazing way to like fix things in the space right now. So I'm really uh, happy that you've been on the space today. I actually have to jump here in like the next five minutes, but last words from Micah over here. Tell me what you want the rest of everybody in here want to think about Webacy. Oh man. Uh, final words. I, I guess check it out is probably the only thing I can ask for or hope for is that just give it a chance. Uh, again, you don't have to pay for anything to get started with what we do. Uh, take that 30 seconds to just improve that safety journey on chain. Cause that's really all it takes to get started and make yourself a little bit safer. So that's it. Thanks for having me. No, it's our, our, basically our pleasure for sure. So Thanks for being here. And with that said, guys, everybody try Webacy. Go to go to the, uh, the the profiles right in here with the little gold check. Check it out. It's just tell me how you like it. Tell Micah how you like it. Tell her how much you don't like it. Give her feedback so she can fix whatever she's working on. Or give some pats on the back over there for the their developers and make sure that they are getting the praise and love they deserve for working on a product that less than 1% of the people a year ago um, would have loved. Because there's really a lot of like people that are not operating in the space anymore. Less than 1% were, uh, are now converting or uh, doing transactions in the space. So as they were a year ago, which is crazy. And then, yeah, we'll see if it ever recovers. But I think uh, you guys are, Webacy is a great idea. So I'm looking forward to seeing like you guys' trajectory. Anyway, so with that said, Brad, you got your hand up? Go for it. Um, and I apologize. Can you revoke the contract from inside the, the app or do you need to just go like um, eScan? Uh, we're adding revoke, but you can go to etherscan or revoke.cash if you want to revoke any approvals. Thank you. I was looking around and couldn't find it. I just wanted clarification because I've got, I actually found two issues. So uh, I'm even more thankful than, uh, <laughs> yeah. So thank yeah, you. Totally. We're adding revoke this week, so it should be good to go. Nice. Revoke is such a good one. 
Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Let me um, ask that last question, man. Absolutely, man. That's cool. Brad, what's up? What were you saying? Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, yeah, yeah, thank Micah for, for what she's doing in the space. And, uh, you know, security is super, super important. It takes, you know, essentially way less time to get drained uh, than it does to set up security measures. So, like, realistically, just, like, it's a pain in the ass, right? Nobody wants to do it. But, like, ultimately, like, it's part of what you do out here, right? Set up set up your security. And um, I remembered who it was at Webacy that I was talking to, and it's a dude named Wes. And Wes is good people. And so, like, the whole the whole team over there are good people. I trust what they're doing, and I encourage everyone to use it. I appreciate that. Wes is actually listening. He's has a little, the ute. But, yeah, thank you. Glad you appreciate the team. I am more than grateful for the team, but thanks thanks again for having us. That's dope. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Wes. Followed. Wes, I followed you, man. That's cool. Don't worry about it. It's cool, bro. Don't worry about it, man. It's cool. So, all right. Yeah. Thanks for being here. And you know what, Mike, Micah, we, we had a chat offline too. I have some ideas for you guys. So let's chat let's and, and then let's like, uh, let's close the space for now. Thanks for everybody for joining us today. That was a chat with Webacy founder, Micah. She is awesome. And so is the product. Check it out. Follow Wes, follow Micah, follow Webacy down here. And uh, you know what? Until next time, we'll probably have a space tomorrow. So see you guys later. Bye. Cool.